Good afternoon. First of all, I would like to thank the organizers in the AUA for allowing me to speak today. The topic of my conversation or the presentation today is going to be robotic ureteroscopy and enabling promise. First of all, in terms of disclosures, I do work with uh, several different uh, biorobotics companies. Uh, also, I'll be talking about some off-label stuff with the uh, last system today, and we will go into that, but I just want to make it clear that the Monarch system that we'll be talking about is not currently FDA approved for ureteroscopy, but we will be talking about the promise of it. As we get started today and we talk about flexible ureteroscopy, I think it's important to think of where we came from and how we got there. So first of all, robotic ureteroscopy initially started in 1957 with Dr. Horshowitz, who essentially developed the very first fiber optic endoscope. It was passive, it had no maneuverability, it wasn't necessarily designed for urology applications, but it really showed the ability of fiber optics and flexibility. Fast forward a few years forward, Dr. Marshall then used a nine French scope developed by ACMI and Mr. Wallace. This was a completely passive scope, but he did use this for ureteroscopy to actually look at the uh, ureter. Fast forward not quite a decade after that, and Dr. Tagaki introduced a flexible scope that actually had active deflection in the final 25 millimeters of that tip. So it now became steerable with a little bit of active and passive uh, deflection. Fast forward again another decade, and Dr. Bagley introduced the first ureter flexible ureter scope with a working channel from Olympus, and this was a large leap forward. Again, not quite another decade, Dr. Backley and Dr. Brazo showed us a new 7.5 French reader scope with both active deflection, passive deflection, as well as a 3.6 working channel from Stortz. These are all landmark events in flexible ureteroscopy. And if we go forward almost another decade and a half, we see the introduction of digital ureteroscopy, where now, instead of having those fiber optic bundles, ACMI introduced a scope that it increased our vision to allow us to treat more disease, to treat better, to treat with more precision, and to see the areas that we were treating. So why have we seen this evolution in flexible ureteroscopy? And to understand it, we have to really think about the enabling technologies that brought ureteroscopy into the modern era as we know it today. It almost sets the stage for the future of where we're going. The things that have made ureteroscopy possible, especially when dealing with stone disease, is new laser platforms and technologies, such as the high-power homium platforms and the MOSES technologies to prevent stone retropulsion. The newest laser system on the market, the Thumium Fiber Super Pulse, which is eradicating stones at a remarkable rate. There's also been advances in the scopes and the instrumentation themselves, whether it's miniaturization, dual working channels, rotating shafts optical image manipulation with digital enhancements to remove shadows or to highlight areas that are red. And now probably the most important thing that we're seeing the change in the field of ureteroscopy is the single use or the disposable ureteroscopes. Ureteroscopes and the accessories are part of the story. The other things that have made ureteroscopy safer, more accessible to the general urologic public, ureteral access sheets, nitinol baskets, smaller laser fibers, ball tip fiber technology, all of these things have helped advanced us in the field of ureteroscopy. So how does that play into robotics and where does robotics go? Despite all of these advances, there is certain skills and techniques to what we do in ureteroscopy. 
And this is where robotics may help us answer some of those challenges. When we talk about robotics in urology, it's no surprise to anyone that there has been a large penetrance of robotics in the field of urology. Some systems have come, some have gone, some have stood the test of time, others have refined themselves and revised themselves from multi-port channel surgery to single port surgery to now different disease processes where we have robotics specially designed for focal therapy for prostate cancer, or we have special robots for BPH and prostate ablation with an aquajet. But to understand the impact of robotics on urology, this is an illustrative slide. And if you look at this slide, the vast majority of prostate surgery done in 2008 was done open. A little less than 40% of it was done with the robotic system. And you can see where it lined up with hysterectomy and some of these other fields where robotics wasn't even represented. Fast forward a decade later, and you see that if you're doing open radical prostatectomies in 2017, you're in a minority share of the market. If you're not doing robotic prostatectomies, patience and technology has passed you by. And you start to see the penetration in other disease states, robotics has really been an enabling technology, allowing more surgeons to do more things and to push boundaries. So why do we consider this with flexible ureteroscopy and robotics and what role does it have? Potentially, it could reduce procedural fatigue. We can do larger stones, more stones. We can deal with more upper tract tumors with additional precision. It may protect the operator from fluoroscopic and radiation exposure. We can scale our motions, again, allowing that precision. One of the important things in ureteroscopy is it also puts the control of the accessory devices, whether it's the laser fiber, baskets, now with fluidics manipulation in the hands of surgeon control. It's an enabling technology. Some of those skills that were relegated to a few are now open to the masses. And what that means is that means that patients have access to greater care. They can get that expert level anywhere because that enabling technology is in many hands. So let's talk about a few of the robotic systems out there. And the first system is more of a historical note, but it's important to understand where this started. So the first system I'd like to mention is the Sensi-X robotic catheter system. This was developed by Hansen Medical out of California. It was initially designed for cardiovascular um, indications and it was FDA approved in 2007. Essentially, it's two independently controlled catheter systems, an outer catheter, 14 to 12 French, an inner catheter, 12 to 10 French, and both of them could be manipulated independently. So how did this play out in urology? In this manuscript a while ago by Dr. Desai, they did the first human studies with this, where they took 18 patients with stones ranging from 5 to 15 millimeters, mean age 46, BMI of 25, Interesting, all patients were pre-stented. Remember, these outer catheters were 14 French. The catheter system was introduced over a wire under fluoroscopic guidance. All of these procedures were technically successful. They did not require conversion to manual ureteroscopy. The operative time was about an hour and a half with the total robotic time only around 40 minutes. And at two months based on CT scan, 10 of the 18 patients were stone free. And at three months, 15 of the 18 patients were stone-free based on IVP. There were several complications, two urinary tract infections. One patient did require a secondary PCNL for a symptomatic residual fragment. 
But what this showed really was the innovation and the feasibility of robotics in ureteroscopy and the ability to treat stone disease. Since this time, this system has largely been sunset as Hansen has been acquired by a different company called Oris, and we'll get into that in just a minute. The next system I would like to talk about is the RoboFlex system out of Turkey in Elamed. This essentially is a very intriguing robotic interface that doesn't try and change our tools, but gives us a standard flexible fiber optic ureteroscope and sheath that allows the surgeon to work through. You can see here in the lower corner of the interface where the surgeon has now vision and um, control over the amount of deflection of the scope, the amount of the laser fiber going in and out, control over fluidics, and puts all of that control in the surgeon's hand away from the patient. The largest human collective study that I'm aware of is this two-site two two study from both Turkey and Germany where they did the first human experience from 2013 to 14 that essentially involved 266 patients. Again, reasonable operative times of around an hour and a half, very fast stone clearance time. The majority of these patients had homium laser use in approximately 92% of the patients. And only about 42% of the patients were the fragments actually extracted. But what importantly they noticed was that the system had overall reliability with a technical system failure in only 0.7% of cases, but they did notice a stone migration in about 20% of patients. So this leads us to the next system that I wanna spend just a few minutes on. And this is the Monarch system, Ethicon Endosurgery, that was, that acquired Oris, that acquired Hansen. So it's been one company buying on the technology of the other. It has yet to see human trials for ureteroscopy. And again, it's not FDA approved for ureteroscopy, but it is approved and commercially available for bronchoscopy. And I'm going to share some of that data with you because it, you can start to use your imagination to see how this can be used in urology. The urology-based carts are typically three-armed. And in this picture, you see that this is the bronchoscopy cart two-armed. You can see the interface looks very familiar to a gaming console or controller. So my kids have been preparing to be robotic surgeons since uh, about the age of two, and they're going to be very good at this moving forward. And then you can see the cart that it comes with and how you can think about having multiple systems, having a touch screen and some of those things. There's some advances in this technology that make it very intriguing, especially in the field of ureteroscopy, and we'll share some of that with you in just a minute. When we think about what it is approved for in bronchoscopy is when you look at modern techniques, the diagnostic yield for lung lesions is around 40 to 70%. Most lesions may require a minimally invasive or laparoscopic or video-assisted procedure to get a yield of those lung lesions. But now this new robotic endoscopic system allows targeting even of more peripheral lesions. This is due to the very ingenious electromagnetic field navigation. There is a generator that creates an electromagnetic field. There's a sensor at the tip of the scope, and this allows precision navigation for the surgeon and the robot to always know where you're at in the human body, whether it's in the bronchoscopy procedure or whether it's in the GU system. It also has locking support sheets with maneuverabilities, fusion that brings imaging into the surgeon control, and in this first multi-center trial, they demonstrated successful navigation in almost 90% of cases with a diagnostic yield of 70 to 80% improving on those historical ones and 165 patients. 
I do want to share with you this brief video demonstrating how this technology works, at least for bronchoscopy. But if you can imagine navigating through the airways of a human patient, you can easily imagine how you could use this to navigate um, through the urinary system, kale seal anatomy, to treat stones, to ablate tumors, to get to small peripheral lesions using this EM navigation, the visual system that you can see. It also has fluidics to control. There's a lasers that you can put out there. There's also baskets. The nice thing about this too, is you can remember where you were in the system and the robot will remember that. So you can quickly and efficiently use this for ureteroscopy, for tumor ablation, for stone extraction. It's an ingenious system, and this will probably be the next iteration that comes out in the field of urology. What this means from a cost perspective is a whole nother argument, but you can certainly see the promise of what these robots can do, at least in the human urinary system. So in summary, I would like to say that robotic-assisted ureteroscopy is gonna to continue to drive the treatment of nephrolithiasis. Will it be as transformative as robotic assistance was for laparoscopy? We don't know, it's too early to tell, but at least the technology is bringing us along. The technology offers us new versatility and perhaps new efficiency with advances to augment our normal perceptions. What if there's temperature control on the tip of that or pressure sensors that allow us to know when that collecting system gets too full? Will that allow us to change our procedures and make things safer for patients and prevent transient bacteremia or septic episodes? You can imagine all the ways that this can be integrated with energy solutions and maybe even individualized techniques that are specific to stone type and whether they're fragmented or dusted. You can imagine live image overlapping and fusion using augmented reality with really treatment precision that allows us to do more things in a more comfortable way, really enhancing and augmenting what we can do from a surgical standpoint. But really for us as urologists, as these technologies come out, it's important for our voices to be heard because it's up to us to define what is next, what is important, how do we use these technologies and how do we integrate them with where we are with our patients today and for tomorrow. So with that, I thank you for your time and your attention. And I wanna thank the organizers again for allowing me the opportunity to speak with you today. Thank you.